0: Hi everyone, I'm Lucy and you're listening to season seven of Space to Learn. The podcast is all about confidence, mindfulness and being yourself all from the perspective of a third year university student in the UK. There's a mix of solo and guest episodes so it's the perfect space to learn something new about what your authentic self looks like and how to express that in the best way possible. I hope you enjoy and I'm so happy to have you here. Hi everyone, how are we doing? I hope you're doing well. Happy Wednesday if you're listening on a Wednesday as this comes out. This week I have another guest episode for you so I was very happy to invite my friend Sophie on the podcast. Sophie's one of my lovely lovely housemates and we spoke about a whole load of different things. So just to give you a flavour of what you can expect from the episode, we spoke about the student identity and kind of thoughts and fears and feelings about graduating. Sophie's graduating in, like, June, so this summer, and her plans for next year are to go and teach English abroad in Thailand, which is so cool, and I'm so excited for her and excited to hear all about it. Um, Yeah, so we spoke about that for a little bit and then also touched on the curriculum and how we think perceptions of different subjects should be kind of a lot more equal Um, so for example Sophie studies English and we spoke about the perception of English compared to STEM subjects and also Uh, languages so yeah a whole load of different things we also touched on sophie's upbringing and her experience of moving to nottingham which is obviously a city compared to her very rural upbringing so yeah we spoke about a load of different things and she has some great words of wisdom and hopefully kind of it's just a nice chatty chilled out episode we recorded this on sunday evening and yeah I think at the time I was like oh you can't tell that I'm tired but I feel like you definitely can tell that I'm bloody exhausted after a really long day of playing korfball the day before so yeah just a little um apology for sounding kind of croaky and just a bit worn down hopefully that doesn't come off too strongly but I know that I can tell when I'm editing it back um but yeah I'll leave you to enjoy the episode with Soph and all of her experiences and perspectives on culture and uni life so yeah enjoy and i hope you're having a lovely week thank you as ever for being here i appreciate it so much and yeah let me know your thoughts over on the space to learn podcast on instagram enjoy okay hello everyone thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the podcast today i'm joined by a very lovely guest i have my housemate sophie on the podcast so yeah hi sophie if you want to introduce yourself and give a little bit of background for everyone listening
1: hey um hi I'm Sophie I'm a third year English student at the University of Nottingham and like Lucy said I'm a housemate and we live together for about what six months now because I only moved into the house in September so yeah
0: yeah and we lived together in Willoughby Hall in first year as well that was a while ago now but it was fun um yeah so I guess we could start with the fact that you're an English student and you're always reading, always like (laughs) a bit of a bookworm and that sort of thing, which I am completely as well. Um, So yeah, I wondered if you like wanted to talk a bit about your degree and like what drew you to English and maybe some book recommendations that have influenced you in some way.
1: For sure. So I was kind of a bit undecided when it came to like choosing a degree, because I think there's a lot of pressure to choose a degree that's more vocational. Mm. And obviously English is very broad and it doesn't exactly (laughs) lead into a direct career path. So I was a bit unsure in terms of that front but mm-hmm. I've always loved reading and literature so I think the best part of my degree in terms of why I came to Nottingham specifically to do English is the like the broad the broadness of the degree and like the diversity in what you study mm-hmm. so like even this year I've studied modern Irish drama and I've studied you know language development in children and the psychology of bilingualism and then I've gone on to Shakespeare and even the evolution of the English language, like the the variety and diversity of what you can study and what yeah. you can like explore, is is mad. Um, so that's kind of why I chose English at Nottingham specifically. But yeah, I think literature overall draw me to it, just because how powerful it is, I think. Um, so we're we going to talk about my three top books. Yeah, go for it. Three top books. Yeah. Oh, this is a big question. I feel like everyone's like, <laughs> "What's your favorite book?" And you're it's like, "It's hard to be fair." Um. So my three top books in terms of they've influenced influenced my life. Yeah. Um, oof. I'd say to start with probably *Ginny* by Charlotte Bronte. Mm-hmm. A bit of a, um, a bit of a boring one, I guess, because it's such a classic. But I've just always loved it. Mm-hmm. I just read it when I was sixteen, and I just kind of fell in love with the characters and the plot. Um, and secondly, I'd probably say *Half a Yellow Sun* by Chimamanda. Um, Adichie, I don't know if you've read any of no, her I'm works, really. um, but yeah she's she's incredible, she's a bit of a feminist icon and um, she's a Nigerian author and she moved to America when she was 18 yes. on her own for university and it she kind of, her fiction explores Western perceptions of like Nigeria and West Africa, explores stereotypes and she talks a lot about like the dangers of having a single story and not exploring mm. narratives that like cross borders or mm incorporate different cultures and nations so that's really cool I think I like it I love her and how yeah. she just kind of delves into topics that like the Western literary canon doesn't divul- divulge into Yeah. especially if you study literature at school you don't really come across these other types of stories or narratives that are just so important mm. and kind of open you up to how powerful literature can be if you read beyond that kind of like I said the Western yeah. narrative. It's
0: such a shame like in school you just focus on like it's all just like white authors and poetry especially and it's yeah definitely that kind of diversity in your degree I guess is quite refreshing from your previous education
1: it's a a big problem as well because yeah there's no wonder why like kids don't want to engage Mm. in English GCSE when they're being made to study mice and men like yeah it's not relevant like there's no way they can see themselves in that story or even like politically like they they talk about feminism in mice and men, but it's like when was it written? Like yeah. in the nineteen <laughs> wo- current, I think. <laughs> yeah, it was like early nineteen hundreds was it? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I, don't I don't know. But yeah, that kind of feminism isn't really gonna speak to like girls in the mm. class of twenty twenty two who are facing exactly. different issues of different kinds of sexual assault involving like social media and mm. yeah, it's just a whole different ball game. So I <laughs> Do you have a a third? Um, a third. I'd probably say all quiet on the Western Front. I don't know mm. if you've no. I it's what that it's either. like a massive anti-war novel of the 20th century, mm. and I'm not going to try and pronounce the author, which is really bad. But I just <laughs> it's a German name, and I've completely forgot it, so you'll have to research that one yourself. But it's incredible, and it was actually um, like banned by the Nazi government when they came right. into power, and it was one of the first books they. Um, they like burnt and censored mm. because of how they they well they basically thought it was unpatriotic but it was just exploring the absolute exploring is not the right word but talking through the absolute horror of mm. like trench warfare and feeling so disillusioned with mm. like this new mechanical way of fighting mm. um but yeah it was really cool and i think it kind of just made me realize from a young age how powerful written word can be and i've i've always been fascinated by the idea that someone especially like a tyrannical regime like the nazis Mm. can feel so threatened by the written word that they need to physically burn it and make a symbol of destroying it yeah and i just makes me realize like how impactful writing can Mm. be if it's done well Mm. and it's like publicized well i think it can really kind of make a difference and speak to people
0: yeah no i agree i think it's like 1984 vibes, isn't it? Wait, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, destroying all the records and just things being burnt and, yeah, censored. It's, it's dangerous and it's scary. And I guess, like, kind of parallels to today when you have, I don't know, social media kind of being filtered and you get, like, echo chambers of things that you see and it's kind of obviously not the same extent, but, yeah, kind of similar similar patterns yeah. going on, I guess.
1: No, it, it, it's, it's scary, but... Mm-hmm yeah that's cool Um,
0: and yeah what you were saying about like the power of the written word that's kind of what appeals to me so much about writing it's like your words can have so much power and that is ultimately like what changes mindsets and changes people's beliefs and opinions
1: Mm.
0: and that you can get so stuck in your own kind of worlds and your own narrative but when you when you can have like different opinions and perspectives opened up to you by like storytelling essentially I think that's so cool Um,
1: yeah and that's why as well like we were saying it's just it's really frustrating that the school curriculum Mm. doesn't engage with material Mm. like outside usually outside of Britain or America yeah and if it does it's in the minority and it's like when you engage with stories that you know speak of different countries and cultures you can kind of break down stereotypes and you get to look at people at the as a on an individual level rather than a because I don't know if I'm like recapping a bit here but um, Chimandeya Adichie was talking about when she moved to America a um, housemate oh, college dorm mate yeah. right in America was um, talking to her and saying was surprised that she could speak English mm. and was asking to listen to her and she said in a, a TED talk if you want to listen to it as well um, she said oh can I listen to some of your tribal music and um, mm-hmm. Aditi was like, my favorite singer is Mariah Carey. Yeah. Like, what are you on about? But because her American dormmate had only heard this story of Nigeria yeah. based mm-hmm. on stereotypes of West Africa, mm-hmm. she didn't understand that yeah. <laughs> you know, Nigeria is a place with, you know, m- Western music yeah. or like infrastructure and cities and money, and it was, none of that mm-hmm. come to it. That's kind of a just like one example, but I think that
0: kind of applies to. To most things really like you just if you don't understand where people come from and their backgrounds and their origins and have no kind of concept of that then you're just kind of always being subjected to like stereotypes and grouping people
1: for things
0: that aren't necessarily like reflective of them and
1: i think they just it's, it's dangerous as well because like governments so i don't know if we're getting too political here but like <laughs> governments will use it in their power if they can like looking at Trump, if he can feed a narrative yeah, that all yeah. Mexicans are trying to come over to the border, and you know have this like certain stereotype of the immigrant, mm. he can use that in his power, that single story to kind of push his policy and mm. push this right kind of right wing yeah, agenda. Sure. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's just really interesting how it works on so many different players. Uh, yeah, definitely.
0: And it's the same with like history. the The history that we get taught in school is so
1: kind of uh, yeah. You just don't have that. Broad perspective and the history they choose at school as well. Mm. I don't know if I think I was talking about this with Freya earlier. They tend to do things if this they're doing like bad history. I know that's Mm. not a good term to use, but that's kind of the way they present it when Mm. you're 16. They always do it from the lens of a different country, Mm. so it's like, oh, America went through a really bad patch, American you know in terms of racism and institutional segregation yeah. look how bad america is but actually i know i um, obviously america was horrific and still is still is horrific yeah. but britain has its own problems too definitely and in history it's always
0: Someone oh fault, yeah they? it's yeah. always
1: oh america civil rights movement oh look how bad america were yeah look how bad we are as well like there's no attempt to do mm. a crossover that's mm. i don't know if that's just my personal experience in sixth form but <laughs> no same like
0: I didn't learn about any black history really in school. Did like, you not? No, barely any. We kind of touched on it a little bit, but it was always a sub-topic of a a bigger theme rather than just learning about it because it's so important. And I remember, like, in the first lockdown last year when George Floyd was killed and the Black Lives Matter movement kind of became really, like, prominent, I remember kind of learning about the, the slave trade and kind of really diving into all of that and thinking just, like, this is crazy that i've not yeah. learned this in school how have i not learned this in school it's such a huge part of our history and we just kind of neglect it and don't talk about it and pretend that it's not our problem it's, it's horrible really yes yeah, it's, it's, it's horrific yeah. the
1: way they try to manipulate the school curriculum yeah, to sure. feed a certain type of history of narrative yeah no i think that's that's really
0: interesting <laughs> Yeah, words definitely have so much power, and I think learning a language is a lot more meaningful
1: than people tend to think. Brief, I was th- I was thinking about that recently actually, because moving on from like my plans for next yeah. year and everything. When you're in school, it's like foreign languages. Don't get me wrong; they're not they're not demonised like they're they're, mm. they're seen as good, but they're in no way regarded as highly as doing a STEM subject. Yeah, like yeah. if you do Spanish for A level or French for A level, it's not seen as as yeah, it's not as highly regarded as doing a maths A level, yeah. which now looking back is just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, you learn in language so you can com- communicate with people from across mm, the globe, and that's so cool. not as highly regarded as doing biology. Like, I'm not, and I'm not dimi- dismissing any STEM subjects like mm. at all, but it's, they should be equally regarded. Like, you yeah. know, <laughs> they're both important.
0: Yeah, 100. percent. Like I did mostly science subjects at A level, then I d- also did French, and it was like kind of seen as a like an extra or like a softer subject yeah. so i'm like yeah this is just as hard. <laughs> like this is you need so much commitment and like you have to do it often and repetitively for you to see any improvement and that, that kind of thing and kind of on like foreign languages subjects so next year you're planning on going to thailand and mm-hmm. teaching english abroad so how did that come about and how have you like decided to do that what are your thoughts on it etc
1: uh yeah so i well i ve- I w- always wanted to spend a few months or you know six months to a year living in a foreign country and mm. the plan was to go to china as part of my degree i could do six months in second year yeah um so my whole spring semester was meant to be um spent in ningbo in china mm-hmm. but obviously COVID happened so that was never <laughs> <Yeah>. gonna <laughs> that was never gonna happen mm-hmm. um re- <laughs> reasonably so so yeah, so since that was cancelled, I kind of looked ahead to trying to rejig my plans a bit and fit it in somewhere in the future, mm-hmm. and it, I'm studying a module at the moment about um, teaching English as a foreign language, so it kind of just came yeah. into place, and I was going to go, I was planning to go to China again, to teach English in China, because I've just always wanted to yeah. go to China. You know one of those things, you don't know why, but mm-hmm. you've just always wanted to. Got a to. feeling about it, yeah. 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 Um, but obviously with um the international situation at the moment mm. and travel restrictions getting a visa for China will take um, like at least 10 months yeah. and i think that's a commitment i'm ready for yeah. so um my company also do thailand so um i've started learning some thai i'm not mm. very good and I'm, I'm really worried that i'm going to learn learn some other language and then i'll go there and they're not going to know what i'm saying <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i've spent all that's this time <laughs> learning it and they're like because my pronunciation is is awful like I'm not gonna kid myself (laughs) and they're gonna be like I don't I don't know what you're saying
0: like you're making the effort so yeah
1: (laughs) but yeah um so teaching traveling is and it kind of seemed a way where I can live in a country for a year and Mm. still have an income so Mm. I'm not you know just spending all of my life savings exactly.
0: So kind of on the TEFL qualification in case anyone's interested who's listening, um, what's the like process of being able to teach English abroad?
1: Yes, yeah, so you can go it alone, but meaning you can contact a school and go independently, but mm-hmm. there's strong recommendations to not do that yeah. practically. It, obviously it does depend on your situation, your circumstances if you're if you're um, familiar with the country and you know you speak the language fluently and you have contacts in the school anyway, of course. That, that's that's great but from someone who's never been to thailand before yeah. you know i didn't really know i don't know what i'm doing yeah so um i'm with a company called impact travel you apply and they kind of you pay them a small fee and they help you through the visa process they find you a school they also once when you arrive there there's like a three-day kind of a little training initiation you know all the things that kind of come with travel companies mm-hmm. so i would really advise looking around and finding the best deals because obviously some are very pricey and some are definitely better than others so just be aware of that make your own choice Mm -hmm. like I can't speak for my company yet because I haven't gone (laughs) so maybe in a year's time I can know if I recommend them or not um we were saying about oh and then TEFL qualification yeah uh so basically TEFL stands for teaching English, foreign, teaching English as a foreign language I know that was already quite self-explanatory but you can do it online it's 120 hours and it's £90 um, and it kind of goes through lesson planning and ways to kind of manage the classroom manage behaviour it also goes in as well about how to kind of break down the English language so mm-hmm. things to us that are just we don't think about obviously like syntax and our sentence structure and how yeah. we Talking in past tense and future tense it breaks those down for you so you can know how to teach them to mm. someone who's never encountered the language before mm. and it's, it's a compulsory qualification anyway so even if you don't want to do it you have to <laughs> yeah so
0: yeah nice yeah that's cool no that's one of the things that's on my impossible list basically a bucket list of, yeah. like so many things and yeah teaching english abroad would be a really cool thing to do um so i'll have to get your advice <laughs> and see how it goes for you thailand is just a done in country i've I never know. been but like it looks gorgeous i'm like, really excited
1: yeah everyone who's gone i've spoken to is yeah. like it's absolutely beautiful like the natural scenery so um, and it, it looks amazing so yeah. again who knows we'll see how it goes yeah. <laughs> that's cool um yeah
0: what are your kind of thoughts about leaving uni and graduating and going off and doing your own thing you're quite a strong independent kind of person <laughs> from my perspective at least i wonder if you're like nervous about it or excited
1: or apprehensive yeah it's a difficult one I kind of I have really enjoyed uni and I do think I'm kind of a stereotypical student Mm -hmm. and um I think you watch Jack Edwards as well don't you and he was I think I don't know if he's in a video he just mentioned it in a vlog but um he's a youtuber by the way for anyone doesn't know him he kind of does Study tube, and he went to Durham and did English at Durham, and he was talking about leaving uni and how he kind of struggled to find a new identity. Yeah. And I know that sounds a little bit <laughs> extreme or a little bit dramatic, yeah but I could kind of see what he meant sure because yeah. you're like, oh, you're a student, or oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a student. Mm-hmm. I study English. Oh, I like books. Yeah. And it's like, and yeah. he was like, I really struggled to find myself after that because uh-huh. that's kind of taken away from you, and obviously you're checked into this whole new world of bills and ending for yourself and mm, there's a lot of pressure sorry. on trying to find a job and oh it's a lot yeah <laughs> yeah definitely no I think that identity thing is
0: really accurate because you kind of like you're in school and you're a student there and yeah you have been since you're four years old and then if you go to uni like kind of continue on that path and it is just part of the the lifestyle it's like just being a student and you get so used to that so yeah it's it's scary like making that change and being kind of not unsupported because obviously you still have like a support network and friends and family but you've not got the kind of institution to back you up Mm -hmm. and to have something to fall back on so it's yeah it's a big change I guess um I know for me like I'm definitely not feeling ready to graduate this year I've got one more year of my degree but like yeah that would be kind of just too soon for me but are you kind of ready to leave do you think are you ready for the new challenge
1: I think you're kind of ready when you have to be yeah <laughs> so that's it's true. Like yeah, it's true if I was if I was on an integrated master's like you are and like a few of our housemates mm. I'd be like oh my god I'm not ready to graduate thank god yeah. i another year but when it's like coming and I, I might Doing do a masters, I might go into further education, but I do want a few years out yet. So yeah. I I know I'm leaving this year, and it's like you just you have to have to just do <laughs> you have it. To just get on with it. <laughs> yeah, um, so I'm just uh, you can't really I can't really think. Uh-huh. Am I ready? Am I not ready? It's like well, I'm leaving. Yeah, and we we're having a conversation in the kitchen the other day about um kind of
0: making choices and the the balance between doing loads of research and trying to work out all of your options and plan all the plan everything out and think oh, what is logically the best thing to do versus just making a decision and making the best of it so I yeah. guess how have you balanced that
1: yeah at some point you just kind of got to jump in the deep end. Yeah. we're this conversation with one of our housemates were not we because <laughs> yeah you couldn't it's like with my plans for next year you can um M&R about what's the best thing to do and yeah but at some point you just well I believe anyway at some point you've just got to go for it otherwise you're never going to make a decision nothing's going to ever happen yeah and it's like I was weighing up for ages all these different options is this the right thing for me is this the best thing to do Mm. now I can't teach in China should I teach abroad at all and it's like at some point you just got it go for it and if it was the wrong if it's the wrong decision it's the wrong decision in hindsight but there's no point worrying about that now like Like, and like whatever happens you
0: you don't know the other options that could have happened so you just have to deal with it and make the best of whatever you're given I guess which is like what you did with when your study abroad in China got cancelled so like you adapted to that so well (laughs) yeah you were you went into halls and that sort of thing so i guess that was quite an adjustment
1: yeah it was oh, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a time but when yeah. covid was for everyone because uh, my time abroad in china was cancelled so i had to find new accommodation last minute i moved into university halls we have catered call halls on um yeah. nottingham campus so i moved back into catered accommodation but um one of my friends well my friend i moved with just really wasn't enjoying it mm. so after christmas we decided to move again and then we moved into dag for um which was where we were for six months and to be fair we we did really like it and we mm. met some like really cool people um and at a point you can feel sorry for yourself i'm sure like most people did it at some point in covid mm. oh there's so many amazing opportunities that have been taken away from me mm. like where would i be right now i'd be like walking around the on the wall of great wall of china <laughs> And like which is true and it does it does suck and like you can be oh i'm really gutted that opportunity was taken away from me mm. but then like it's the same there's no point crying over spilt milk yeah. like there's <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it yeah. get on with it enjoy the present and uh-huh. then readjust and fo- refocus on plans for the future yeah no 100 percent agree
0: i think you're really good at doing that as well like you quite like there's no messing around you'll just <laughs> do what you want to do you know which is really good um yeah i guess we could talk a little bit about your upbringing because i mm-hmm. feel like that's all also- always quite interesting to like we were saying at the start to understand kind of the narrative that people have experienced when they're younger mm-hmm. um and you're welsh which is <laughs> fairly apparent from the accent <laughs> but yeah what is your kind of experience of growing up I you you grew up on a farm and how obviously you haven't known any different but yeah what was that like
1: yeah um so i'm from ogmobal well i grew up in kind of South Wales, Ogmore Valley, so I went to primary school in the Valleys and then my dad's a farmer and he's kind of runs um, the farming business with my two uncles. So I've kind of always, I was brought up on the farm, always been immersed in that farming culture which I don't think you realise is its own kind of yeah. mini society until you leave it. which it's hard to explain to people that haven't been involved in it, but it really is like a subculture. Mm. <laughs> um, so yeah, brought up on the farm, obviously quite rural. Um, but I I definitely wouldn't wouldn't change it. I think mm. it was I'm always so fortunate. Like I used to have friends over like went even in primary school and in secondary school and we'd be on the quads and they'd all be like looking around the tractors and all I used to have ponies growing up and I used to go to like agricultural shows and do horse riding and obviously that's you can only kind of have those experiences if you well usually you can only have those experiences if you had land Mm. because having horses and paying for tack is like ridiculously expensive so but yeah um i'm quite fortunate for that Mm, that's
0: cool um yeah because like i've i grew up in a little village so kind of similar to an extent whenever people kind of ask me oh how How many people live in your village, or like how far is it to to the shops or that kind of thing? They're just like shocked because I guess most people grow up in like towns and big cities, and like no, I have to get in a car and drive (laughs) 15 minutes to to Tesco or like you have to go go and travel to see your friends that kind of thing. So it's it's quite different, I guess.
1: My grandma's house um, is literally in the middle of nowhere. That's the like we call it the top farm because that's like the main. I guess the farm, farming yeah. hub <laughs> and it's yeah it's re yeah it is it is really rural yeah and it is uh, strange with farming because like that house has been in the family for generations mm, yeah. and I think the house itself is about 150 years old but before that we used to live in the p- barns we mm. used to live my like, like what do you call them <laughs> and, um, ancestors <laughs> yeah kind of sounds really old not <laughs> <Yeah>. it <laughs> ancestors sounds a little bit yeah. too like like, like like
0: generations before yeah
1: yeah. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Generations before me used to live in like the uh, bottom farm and down in the sheds below. Mm. So we've been in that little area, that yeah. kind of house for about 500 years, which is mad. That's such an long I know. And even with my dad's house, um, Gepavid Farm, we call it, I remember we were in the upstairs one day. Um, me and my sister were just messing about. I can't remember, you know, kids just yeah. messing about the place. And we come across this really old painting of my great great grandma in like traditional Welsh costume. (laughs) And we were like, What the? What on earth is this? But (laughs) when you live in a house that's that old, you will come across stuff that's like your your great great grandma in the Victorian era, like with a formal painting. And I forget that not everyone people live in houses so like yeah and, yeah, yeah so. you don't you don't stumble across your great great grandmother. like no. <laughs> that's crazy yeah um do you feel like proud of being welsh it's an interesting one i don't know if it's, it's not controversial to say but i've always been a bit weary of nationalism mm-hmm. and being patriotic i think especially when you are british yeah you it's it's obvious it's obvious to see why we would be weary to be like British the British flag when the Union Jack to me has got so many negative connotations and I don't really feel proud of my British identity I don't know if that's problematic to say but I just think with the historical context it's hard to be I I don't know your opinions on that but in terms of my Welsh identity I think when I was in school probably less I was a bit like oh I don't care and I was we had to learn the Welsh language in school and it was um it was compulsory up to the age of 16, and I learned it all throughout primary school as well. Mm. And I was always like, I can't wait, I can't wait to stop learning the Welsh language. I hate it, it's pointless, no one speaks it. Why do we have to learn mm. it? And about half the class, including me, would just complain and complain about why it was on the curriculum. And I still see where I was coming from because if I could speak Spanish, that would be a bit more helpful in terms yeah. of traveling abroad. But at the same time, like in hindsight, I do regret being so dismissive of it and not mm. paying as much attention because it is incredible to have a language that's so old. I think yeah. I think I don't want to say I'm wrong when I think I say it's the, one of the oldest languages. It's the oldest language in the British, British Isles that's still spoken, right. something like that. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it's when you look, yeah, when you, looking back, I think I probably should have paid a bit more attention. Mm.
0: Yeah, but it's easy, like when you're a kid to to kind of dismiss that
1: sort of thing and everyone just complains and stuff yeah. in school so I think yeah um, but even now it's like I don't cling to the Welsh national identity but mm. I, if I see daffodils in Tesco I buy them <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Cause they look great because <laughs> <laughs> I dismiss them and they always grow obviously yeah, in my in my yeah. garden so I don't know it's a weird one mm, I think yeah. if, I, if I move away from Britain I'd definitely cling to it more yeah that's true I guess
0: because yeah we've only lived in the UK so it's kind of it's hard to put your identity into perspective, like for example, um, Jade Bowler, yeah, I've, like she's now um going off and like studying in different countries and that sort of thing. Um, and I guess that kind of naturally mm-hmm. means you question your own cultural identity mm-hmm. a bit more. Whereas from our perspective, like we've not really had the contrast to compare anything to, so
1: yeah, you're just immersed in it, and I think some stuff at least I I take for granted as being part of a British national identity. Mm. Like the things I enjoy doing or some of my hobbies or the way I think and Mm. like approach life, how much of that is influenced by my national identity. And I I think national identity is such a complicated topic to engage in. What even is a British national identity? What's a Welsh national identity? Like who fits into that? Who doesn't? It's it's a whole, Mm. it's so politically charged as well. exactly
0: and i guess like what you're saying before about like the student identity yeah there's all these different pieces of like who we are but it's really hard to separate the causes and like how much our environment's actually influenced sure. who we are and until you kind of travel and go abroad and for me that is such a good way to to figure out who you are like without mm-hmm. being too cliche like that whole gap year <laughs> gap finding yourself type <laughs> thing. but like it's true because until you get out of the environment that you've grown up in you don't really know how that fits into the rest yeah. of the
1: world i guess yeah oh yeah for sure mm. i think i think as well i was talking to um this um boy oh sorry man on campus who's just moved um to britain from pakistan and he was mm. saying to me i just found this concept really interesting probably quite ignorant of me for not fully engaging it with it but and he was saying i think it's a tricky one because for him he's always been immersed like british or I guess American culture, mm. you know, he's he's what he watched Downton Abbey. He's knows about the British monarchy. Yeah, he's true. watched Hollywood movies, like, and he's kind of he's always been influenced by that, and it's always kind of been he's always known about it throughout his life. Mm-hmm. Where I think when you're British or American, I'm going to kind of use them yeah, interchangeably yeah. for this point. You, you know, you you don't have so much of that influence. No, like we're not so watching yeah, yeah. unless you go out and find it we're not watching movies from like produced in Pakistan or books written like in Japan like some of us are for sure of course Mm. I'm not trying to make generalizations but it's not in a cultural norm to do that no so I think when we travel he was saying to me he's like when you travel abroad I bet it must be so overwhelming or so like wow because Mm. you're going somewhere that you haven't been exposed to that culture at all that's so true because when he comes to Britain it's like yeah it's it's mad and it, it's new and it's exciting but when he saw Wool- when we went to Wollaton Hall he was like this looks like yeah. something I've seen in the, all these period dramas That's that I watched so true, yeah. but and he was saying if you went to Pakistan and you saw all the architecture and the culture and the food you'd be so overwhelmed mm. because you had none of that is filtered through your mm. like childhood or everyday experiences yes, definitely
0: and I guess it goes back to like the importance of making the curriculum more diverse just yeah for sure to kind of open that perspective from a younger age otherwise you just end up with people being so close-minded and yeah everything's so black and white to what you're used to so yeah definitely I I really think that broadness is undervalued especially in the mm-hmm. UK and like America like you were saying um did you kind of experience that when you moved to Nottingham like the difference in obviously it's not anything like drastic compared yeah. to living abroad but from being in such a like rural environment to being in a city was that kind of a culture shock to a small extent
1: or not? Yeah I think the more of I think moving to uni going to a university was more of a culture shock just because you have your sixth form and there's like quite a small group of people and then you go to university and you're confronted with so many different personality types and I went from being in a classroom situation where one or two people might make a point, and then people are throwing stuff around the classroom, and no one really cares what's going yeah. on. To going into a university seminar with all of where all of a sudden everyone's engaged, everyone's got these like amazing points to bring up. Yeah. Everyone's from like got so many different stories to tell, mm. and I guess it is that common saying: you go from being a big fish in a small pond yeah. to Little a small fish in a big, big pond. pond. I yeah. think that's the right yeah. way around. But I think I think the university culture was probably more of a um, a shock to me mm. than the city life which I'm surprised at because again I have had a very rural upbringing mm. but I kind of always wanted to go to a city I, yeah, me too. I was looking for like Manchester and Liverpool but then mm. I visited Nottingham and I was like oh okay this is actually yeah. quite nice <laughs> I think because it is so green and like that's quite yeah. comforting and familiar yeah part of me was like oh I want Manchester and then I'm like do you those yeah. so <laughs> like <laughs>
0: yeah it's like do you like the idea of it or do you actually could you actually imagine yourself yeah. living there no for things. sure for sure yeah No, that's cool. No, I think the same, to be honest, like, it doesn't feel like we're in a big city, really, and especially because we're on campus in first year, like, it's very kind of, like, that campus feel is definitely there, and you feel Uh, quite, like, protected, I guess, or Mm -hmm. at least supported. It's a bubble. (laughs) Yeah, it's a a bubble, definitely, Um, which I guess, like, makes leaving it a bit harder (laughs) compared to city unis, maybe. Yeah, that's
1: true. Yeah, and it's just everything's so structured, and mm. like I don't know how familiar you are with like Nottingham layout, but like Lucy was saying, it's a campus uni, mm. and it's very much its own little society. <laughs> like yeah. it's only we've got like the shop and the cafes and mm. all the everything, all the halls, and it's all very centered. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you have any cafe recommendations
0: and places that you enjoy in Nottingham?
1: Yeah, so I am. I'm a Big sucker for studying in <laughs> a coffee shop. I am that stereotype. Like, I do go to a bookshop and like find a corner and like get up my laptop. I, <laughs> um, I think it's a difficult one because I always really do want to go to independent cafes, but then I'm the type of person to go to a cafe and want to spend four hours in that cafe, mm-hmm. like editing an essay. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you gotta be a little bit careful because you don't want to table hog small coffee shops, yeah, and that's small businesses. True. Yeah. Um, but I'd say independent coffee shop recommendations in Nottingham. There's one of my favourite cafes, which I absolutely love, is called Brew and Biscuit, and it's again I don't know how familiar anyone is with Nottingham, but it's like just off Old Market Square. If you walk down towards where Marks and Spencers is, down towards the train station, and they they it's like they call themselves a specialty tea house, and they make all their own tea, Mm -hmm. and you can have like the most random concoctions. Like I have. I'm a big fan of rhubarb tea, and you can have like carrot cake flavor, Ooh, jaffa cake flavor. Yeah. In fact, rhubarb and custard. Nice. I feel like I could do an ad for them because I am <laughs> obsessed. Sponsored episode. <application. laughs> but yeah, and then I'd say second one is the specialty coffee shop. Have you been there? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's really yeah. cool, and. <laughs> i'm sounding so sad but i really love latte art i just think it's so satisfying yeah i call it art because i genuinely think (laughs) those baristas are just extremely talented but i went there and i had a teddy bear on top of my coffee really yeah that's so cool (laughs) i've had a teddy bear i've had a swan like those baristas are insane so if you're if you you know want to Latte Instagram yeah. post at a specialty coffee shop. <laughs> Check nice. it sure
0: out. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, I I love that kind of feeling of being surrounded by other people, but kind of working on your own thing is quite a cool little like yeah. main character type vibe going
1: on. <laughs> it's an expensive um, yeah. habit though. Because I've got to the point now where I just hate studying inside, mm-hmm. so I'm always like, I want to go to a coffee shop to study, and I'm like, three pound a cappuccino, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, like in the grand scheme of things, and it's c- compared to the price that our degrees are. Yeah, that's for, oh, Don't but, remind me. Oh no. <laughs> but yeah, that's cute. Um, yeah, um, I guess we could finish by. I will ask you the question that I ask to all of the guests that have on the podcast. So no pressure. Um, <laughs> what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Okay,
1: I knew this question is coming because mm-hmm. I've listened to quite a few. <laughs> um, I was thinking about this before coming on here actually. And I'd say, I'm gonna sound like such an English student because Mm. it is a quote from Emily Dickinson, (laughs) but it's one step at a time is all it takes to get there. And I think whenever Mm. I'm, I say it because whenever I'm overwhelmed, especially we're talking about graduating and moving abroad or kind of putting yourself outside your comfort zone, I think reminding yourself that one step step at a time Mm. is all it takes to get there is just, because it's something now moving abroad to teach Instead of thinking, oh, what's it going to be like when I get there, what's going to happen then, what's going to happen here, think, right, let's get my qualification first, let's start learning a little bit of the language, then you move on to the visa process, mm. then... And you take everything, like, literally, mm. one step at yeah. a time and eventually. And it's the same if you're A-level student and you're really overwhelmed by the prospect of doing your, sitting your A-levels. Don't focus on, you know, being in that example just yet. Mm. Just think of the process and you know your nightly revision routine and slowly but surely you know the end result will follow yeah yeah, definitely and it can be applied to so much Mm.
0: yeah and i'm definitely like guilty of just overthinking and getting way ahead of myself and thinking about all the like what if situations and trying to plan everything to like the degree but you just don't need to and you can only ever like deal with what's in front of you right now so overthinking and trying to plan excessively is just like a waste of time really yeah i agree so yeah i think that's so important and especially when you're kind of stressed or overwhelmed it's hard to to make yourself like believe that and believe that Mm -hmm. you don't have to be worrying about everything like i know a few people in my life are massive warriors and they'll just stress about like whatever but um yeah taking it one step at a time is just a nice simple way of putting that because you you Something's can't up.
1: you can't solve it all in one night. It's no. like I have a breakdown about something, and I'm like, I'm not gonna get to any result in no. this one night. Like yeah. I, you just need to kind of break down the process. Yeah, for sure. And like focus on the small thing you can do right now, mm-hmm. and then another small thing you can do tomorrow and the day after. Mm-hmm. They'll gradually build up your confidence to an mm. end result, yeah. rather than just trying to, yeah, <laughs> reach the end result straight yeah. away. No,
0: I completely agree. That's great well thank you so much for coming on i've loved this chat and i hope that people listening have enjoyed as well it's just been a nice way to spend a sunday evening so yeah i appreciate you giving up your time to come on um that's okay
1: thank you for having me You're
0: (laughs) you're welcome cool thank you so much for listening everyone and i'll be back again next week with another episode bye